Well, let's head to the UN now because China and Russia have vetoed a UN resolution sponsored by the US. The resolution would have imposed tough new sanctions on North Korea for a spate of intercontinental ballistic missile launches that could be used to deliver nuclear weapons. Uh, the vote in the 15-member Security Council was 13-2 and marked the first serious division among the five veto-wielding permanent members. US Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield says the vetoes make the world a less secure place. Those members have taken a stance that not only undermines the Security Council's previous action to which they have committed, but also undermines our collective security. That is U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield there. Well, moves to prevent nuclear proliferation in the Korean Peninsula come as there is continued talk of nuclear deterrence and the threat of the use of nuclear weapons by Russia over the war in Ukraine. And that has rekindled the debate about the dangers of nuclear deterrence in general, namely that one day someone will actually see fit to carry through with the threat of using them, a move where, as the Secretary of State in the U.S. recently put, all sides lose. So is it time to rethink the very premise of deterrence. Well, joining me now is Ernie Regeer. He's a senior fellow in defense and Arctic security at the Simmons Foundation or the Simons Foundation Canada. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I was uh, glad to be here. So this is such a timely topic because it felt like a long time other than when it came to North Korea. It felt like a long time since we talked about these issues of deterrence and mutually assured destruction and all these concepts that we talked about so often um, Mm -hmm. a generation ago. But clearly, you feel like this is time to be talking about this again. Why is that? Well, the the most immediate um, issue is uh, the President Putin threatening the use of nuclear weapons in Ukraine, as as you mentioned. The 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 dangers of of deterrence have always been there, and the uh, um, because the the. The basis of deterrence is that you threaten to use them when you're in a bad spot, and uh, Putin uh, finds himself in a very bad spot at the at the moment. And uh, and and the more desperate he gets, the more likely uh, or the greater the possibility that he will actually use the weapon. And the and the problem is that once a weapon is used, uh, then uh, the other side. Uh, in this case, it would be the Americans and, and NATO, and most relevant in, in Europe, would then be uh, uh, would then be challenged to respond in some way, and the and the way that they would likely respond is use a nu- nuclear weapon of your own, and then uh, uh, the thing escalates, and you don't know where it's where it's going to stop. And this has been, I mean, you know, having grown up in the in the eighties, this was, of course, the the fear, this idea of mutually assured destruction, as as effective as it may have been uh, for a time. The idea that one day something could go wrong. Um, how serious? I mean, you've watched this space for a very long time. Uh, mm-hmm. How much more? How much more threatening do you, of a situation do you think we're in right now, given Russia's difficulties in Ukraine and the fact that they are quite aggressively using this nuclear deterrent to keep NATO out? Well, I, I mean, it's it's difficult to know with with uh, certainty, obviously, but it's it's a much more dangerous situation, and I think that the more desperate that the Russians get, uh, the more likely it is that they that they will use use the weapons, and so the West has to has to have some kind of response to it, and at at the moment. Uh, that response is likely to be a count, uh, uh, or is being, they're being counseled, 
to then launch a counter uh, response. And uh, one of the things that that uh, I and others have have uh, my colleagues have argued is that uh, uh, the the um, we we need to move away from the rhetoric of uh, of nuclear use and uh, and develop a capacity for for uh, uh, restraint and um, and conventional alternatives for for um, deterrence. Uh- what are the? I mean, if if I was a North Korea, for instance, watching what Vladimir Putin's been able to do with his nuclear deterrence, it might be a hard sell. I mean, in this case, you're specifically talking about NATO uh, reframing right. this, uh, which is interesting. And I, and I actually yeah. let me let me let me ask you that. Uh, this is this is something you feel that NATO should pursue this idea of changing changing the dynamic, changing the framework of this language a bit to try to find a new mm-hmm. path. Right. They, um, uh, uh, we realize that Putin is threatening to use nuclear weapons, but the NATO doctrine also is to, to use and introduce nu- nuclear weapon into a conventional war in extreme circumstances. Now, the, the, the definition of extreme circumstances has never been uh, made, and it, and it shouldn't uh, uh, be made because we, we all want to avoid that extreme uh, circumstance. But the um, uh, so one of the one of the possibilities uh, or one of the option, policy options that uh, NATO should pursue is to make a basic commitment and seek a reciprocal commitment from Russia, of course, that they would never be the the, the first to use a nuclear war in a hitherto conventional uh, uh, war. So that you would not, they would not introduce nuclear weapons into a conventional war. That doesn't undermine their basic deterrence stance because uh, it doesn't preclude using nuclear, threatening to use nuclear weapons in in response. But that would be a very, very stabilizing development because you could, then you would have in a in a conventional war. You would have some confidence that, regardless of how this conventional uh, war goes, you're not going to go to to uh, you're not going to be attacked with a nuclear weapon, and uh, and and the side, as I'm saying, that doesn't undermine the deterrent quality of of nuclear weapons. Uh, one of the things, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, is but it strikes me that that over the course of time, no matter how strained relations between what was the Soviet Union and the Americans, what is now Russia uh, and, and the US, that the ability to talk about these weapons has always been relatively strong. When you look at the what's happened in the last three months, do you worry that the ability for the US and Russia to talk about nuclear weapons has been eroded because of what's happened in Ukraine? Yeah, the the uh, the talking between the the two sides has has virtually stopped, and that's a, a formula for miscalculation and, and mistakes and misunderstanding the other side's intention. And if uh, and if you, if there's a feeling that one side is going to use nuclear weapons, then it's a temp- then there's a temptation to to use them preempt- preemptively against the other side, and so that the the 
the lack of dialogue between the two sides is now escalates the the the, the danger. And one of the uh, and throughout this kind of a context contest rather, uh, it's extremely important to keep uh, uh, contact with each other. And I think that um, uh, we, we can we can hope that uh, during the course of the, of the the these operations that there is in fact back channel uh, talking between the two sides and they are uh, they do have hotlines that are that are open uh, to help av- uh, avoid a war but it's been a long time since we've been in a situation that is quite as dangerous as the as the current one you put forth that that at these upcoming NATO meetings, and there's a lot on that agenda, but at these upcoming NATO meetings in Madrid, that really the nuclear question should really be something that's talked about quite seriously. What would you like to see done at those meetings? Well, the, the nuclear question will come up at the, at the meeting because it's a renewal of something called the, the strategic concept, and that covers the whole gamut of nor, uh, NATO operations, but also the nuclear uh, operations. And so, the, uh, so it, that's where they outline the nuclear doctrine. And the current doctrine says that nuclear weapons are ultimately the guarantee of the security of, of the allies and that NATO will use them, will introduce them into a conventional um, uh, com- conflict in extreme circumstances and uh, the same way that, that Russia uh, threatens to, to use them. So the, the, um, uh, the most immediate thing that uh, would that would help to to uh, de-escalate the situation uh, substantially would be for NATO to say that uh, uh, we retain nuclear weapons for deterrence purposes, and that that is to say for retaliatory <coughs> excuse me purposes. But we will not be the first to use nuclear weapons in a in a uh, conflict between Russia, say, and NATO. I'm speaking with, speaking with Ernie Regeer. He's a senior fellow in defense and Arctic security at the uh, Simons Foundation Canada. Uh, we're talking about nuclear deterrence, uh, certainly with the threat of nuclear weapons or use of nuclear weapons. Russia, uh, throughout the war in Ukraine, even from the outset, has been quite overt about using the mm-hmm. nuclear threat to try and uh, keep NATO out. Uh, certainly, we've heard a lot from lots of military experts on this show talking about how, um, you know, a no-fly zone, for instance, over Ukraine was a no-go because of the threat of, uh, of confronting a nuclear arms state. Um, mm-hmm. But as, as uh, Ernie Regeer is pointing out, it, maybe it's time to rethink the whole notion of deterrence. And now that we're talking about nuclear weapons again, maybe this is a golden opportunity. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more just about the notion of deterrence and how other actors around the world may be watching this conflict and wondering about whether it's uh, how much of a better idea having a nuclear deterrent of their own might be. That's it. That's next. On the show this half hour, we're speaking with Ernie Regeer. He's a senior fellow in defense and Arctic security at the Simons Foundation of Canada. Uh, we've been talking about nuclear deterrence. Of course, the issue of nuclear weapons has come up a lot since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Clearly, Vladimir Putin using uh, nuclear weapons as a deterrent, at least to try to keep NATO from imposing such things as a no-fly zone. Uh, it has worked to some extent. Uh, but also just the whole idea and the premise here, the, the, the base premise being 
one use of nuclear weapons is one use too many. And the way things are structured right now in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, strategy, or at least in terms of dogma, is that one use would necess- necessitate a response. Um, so Ernie mm-hmm. Regeer's theory is it's time to talk about this. And also it's time for NATO to change its, change its, its ideas around wep- nuclear weapons being the supreme guarantors of security. Um, and instead look at them as something to try to wean ourselves off of, if I can use such a layperson's term. <laughs> um, you see Canada's having a role here as well, don't you? Uh, uh, sorry, say that again. I said, you see Canada having a role in this as well, that Canada could be, uh, could play a role as a broker, for instance, as we used to do back in the Cold right. War. Right. Uh, well, uh, Canada is a member of, of uh, NATO, uh, obviously, and also uh, Canada is a member of the NATO planning group. And all NATO decisions are made by consensus. So all, all states have to, have to be on, on board. It's not likely that Canada would alone uh, break uh, a consensus on on the, uh, critical issues like like uh, nuclear doctrine, uh, but uh, there is a, it does have a seat at the table. There is an opportunity to raise um, uh, issues and raise questions. There are other states within uh, within NATO that have questioned uh, NATO's nuclear role in the past. Uh, such as uh, Germany and uh, uh, Belgium and uh, and and some others, uh, the climate has changed because of what's happening in in uh, Ukraine, and that's why I think the the I mean the changes that would be possible to pursue at this point are are modest ones, and that's why I talked about the uh, uh, the rhetorical change instead of instead of having as your basic pre- premise that nuclear weapons are the foundations of of security uh, that is the most destructive weapons in the world are the foundations of of security uh the uh, NATO should really reflect, reflect the international situation uh, which says that nuclear weapons are a problem they are deemed to be a temporary necessity but ultimately the goal is to eliminate them and that in fact is the ultimate goal of the of the uh, international community uh, 186 states without nuclear weapons have joined the non-proliferation treaty and uh, pledged never to acquire them five states with nuclear weapons are in that same same treaty that's the US China Russia, the United Kingdom, and, and France have pledged to uh, to uh, to disarm and ultimately to eliminate the, those uh, uh, arsenals. So right from the beginning of, of nuclear weapons, there has been a basic position taken by the international community that these are a dangerous. Uh, these are dangerous weapons. They're not like any other weapon. The main objective when you, uh, for these weapons is to never use them and that the objective is to, is, is to eliminate them. And the NATO doctrine ought to reflect that, that basic, uh, position in, in some way rather than the current language of the doctrine which, which says that they are, uh, guarantees of, of security. And then, um, NATO also has, has the opportunity to, to, uh, to, uh, de-escalate and that, that is, uh, what I was saying earlier about a no first, uh, 
uh, use pledge and seek seek reciprocity by uh, from uh, other states, including Russia, in the long term. And then uh, uh, the United States has um, tactical nuclear weapons in Europe, and ultimately those should also be repatriated back to the United States. And Russia should pull its tactical nuclear weapons away from the, its borders with Europe and towards the inland of Russia. When you look at what Russia has done with its nuclear deterrent so far in this conflict, uh, do you, f and I only have a few minutes left, but do you see, A, do you see it having an impact on countries like the North Koreas and the Irans who look at this deterrent as being something that they could re really find valuable? Do you think this is promoting that in a way that is unfortunate for, for what you're suggesting? And do you think NATO changing its, its, its doctrine at all might ease that? Um, uh, on the latter part, I think that that's that's correct. And um, both Iran and North Korea, and while well, North Korea has nuclear weapons already, and Iran um, certainly uh, flirts with the idea of, of, of nuclear weapons, but I think for most states uh, are not tempted to go that route uh, because the the disincentives are very substantial. It's very extremely costly to pursue a nuclear uh, weapons capability. And what deters countries from from uh, attacking North Korea isn't so much its nuclear weapons as its as its conventional forces that have the capacity of uh, attacking Seoul directly in uh, uh, the capital of, of uh, South, South Korea. And um, other countries that that uh, pursue nuclear weapons then are bound then to be international pariahs, as um, Iran essentially is, and as um, as uh, North North Korea is, and it doesn't pre uh, protect you from becoming involved in conflict. India and Pakistan, both of which have nuclear weapons, have been in have uh, nevertheless had conventional wars with each other. China and, and India have, have uh, clashed in the Himalayans over border issues, despite the fact that both sides have nuclear weapons. So, so a nuclear weapon doesn't protect you from a conventional war, and it, uh, it makes you, uh, for states new states trying to acquire nuclear weapons and guarantees that they will have a pariah status and uh, be isolated within the international community. So the, the disincentives to proliferation are quite, uh, quite strong. The bigger problem is uh, uh, Russia when uh, as it gets more and more desperate, what's it, what's it going to do and, and how is NATO going to respond to it? Ernie Regeer will be keeping an eye on those NATO meetings in Madrid at the end of June. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much.